Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to the brand new season, our 10th anniversary season of Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. I must tell you, it is exceptionally good to be back. Jazz Shapers is where I bring you the pioneers shaping the business world, together with the musicians shaping the worlds of jazz, soul and blues. And as you've come to expect, we've got inspiring, risk-taking, problem-solving guests joining us over these next few weeks to keep you company and to keep you sane. What better way to kick us off in these challenging times than with a focus on business for good? Our guest today is Paul Miller, co-founder and CEO of Bethnal Green Ventures, an investment firm backing early-stage tech companies tackling big social and environmental problems. Paul became interested in activism, then think tanks at university, realising how drawn he was to the potential of new ideas. In 2006, he started running weekend hackathons, bringing together people at the sharp end of problems in healthcare, education and sustainability with developers, designers and others who wanted to make a difference. But as Paul says, people were always asking, how do I quit my job and turn this into something I can work on full time? Bethnal Green Ventures was founded in 2010 as Europe's first Tech for Good accelerator programme, aiming to radically improve millions of lives. They've now backed 127 Tech for Good ventures across sectors such as AI, education, healthcare, energy and retail, including Doctor Doctor, an appointment rescheduling app that's reportedly saved the NHS thousands of years' worth of missed appointments, and Bright Little Labs, a kids' media company whose founder, the brilliant Sophie Dean, was a guest on Jazz Shapers. Every six months, Paul says, we get applications from hundreds of tech-for-good entrepreneurs. It's like a torrent of optimism coming our way. Well, you, me and everyone else is absolutely open to a torrent of optimism right now. The star of the show today, hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And we say having you here, of course, in 2021. Um, I'm in my son's bedroom, the new... HQ for Jazz Shapers in 2021. Paul is in a very erudite, cerebral-looking... Where are you? Some, some I'm, I'm in our improvised home office, which just happens to be in front okay. of a bookshelf that makes me look a little bit more intellectual than I probably am. If I'm he, he's here. looking more intellectual, <laughs> and I have got my son's electric guitar on the wall, his electric drums, and a synthesizer as well. So between us, Paul, we have books and music covered. Now, I mentioned in the introduction, of course, that you, as the founder of Bethnal Green Ventures, I love this notion of you being the guy who created the first Tech for Good fund. Tell me about why you care about the world and about what happens in it. Oh, that's that's a great question. I think it was from, from a pretty early age, and particularly actually sort of influenced by my family who have always been involved in activism and... Uh, global issues as long as I can remember. You know, I remember mum raising money for sort of international development charities and campaigning on climate change and all those kinds of things when I was a kid. And then as a teenager, I got more interested in those issues and actually was really lucky to sort of meet grown-up activists when I was a teenager and just be really inspired by them. I, I remember meeting some former sort of anti-apartheid campaigners when I was, you know, 13, 14 and just sort of 
being amazed at what they'd achieved because obviously you know i was a teenager in the 90s and that was that was a, a hot issue but also just how much fun they'd had like you know it was sort of you know talking to to anti-apartheid activists you know they might you might sort of think of them as serious sort of people but actually you know there's a there's a really wicked sense of humor in some activists that i that i loved as well and yeah, that, that inspired me to always be interested in social and environmental issues. And those issues have changed over time. But uh, ultimately, you know, I think the, the common thread is like, you know, well, you, you can help people. So let, let's do it. And you don't have to be totally earnest and serious about the way you do that. You know, having a sense of fun about how you can improve the world is is something that I think has, has run through all of the things that I've done as well. So yeah, I think that's that, that's where it started, and then it's it's taken various different incarnations over the years through to now, like running a VC firm. Who who knew? But um, that's 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 what's happened. It's funny you mentioned the anti-apartheid thing. The the reason I originally wanted to be a lawyer was because of uh, watching a film called Cry Freedom back in the eighties, which of course was about apartheid. And I joined Amnesty International the very next day, literally, and it began a, a journey of of sorts. And I guess many people listening will have issues especially raised through this pandemic that really matter to them tell me in your own words how those issues that matter have surfaced through this as you said this venture capital firm that you've created just tell me the beginnings of the journey of 2010 and how you started converting that into a real business yeah so I was at the time I was running um, an education technology business which did very well up until 2008 when we were basically hit very badly by the financial crisis and the whole venture capital world sort of went into stasis at that that moment. And we never really recovered from that. But alongside my day job, you know, on that education technology business, I'd been running these weekend events, as you mentioned in your intro. And it was just amazing who was turning up to those. You know, we were just, they were called social innovation camps. And uh, we said, like, come along. And if you've got an issue that you really care about, you can come and pitch it to everybody else who comes along and, and, and see if they'll help you to build a prototype that does something about that. And it was always like super, super talented people who were turning up, people who had, you know, day jobs, you know, in banks or advertising agencies or, or the big tech firms. Um, and they'd come and spend their whole weekend for free working on this. And I think we just started to to get the feel that there was potential here and we didn't have any money to invest in them at that stage. So we just decided, well, what can we build that helps them? And so we ran a evening school, really, like kind of a, a after school club almost uh, on Tuesday evenings. We used to get a bunch of people together who we'd selected who were more serious about turning the their ideas into actual startups. And we met together in Bethnal Green in a, a place called the Young Foundation, just just near Bethnal Green Tube. And everybody would put a fiver in and I'd go out and get takeaway whilst they chatted about, you know, how to get their businesses going. And they really were able to help each other. And I think that was the lesson from that prototype, if you like, of, of what became BGV in 2010 was that that cohort effect, that effect of bringing a group of people together who were all committed to try and change the world using business and technology. That was what we learned from that year. And then we tried raising some money, uh, failed, you know, nobody got it at that point. There wasn't, there was no such thing as, I guess, impact investment, even ESG investment was was a new thing then. But eventually we did get a little bit of money together from Nesta, the Innovation Foundation. And in 2012, we put that to work, investing in six companies, one of which was Dr. Doctor that you mentioned in your intro, who have grown to be a really important service for the NHS in terms of saving them money, time, 
all those overheads uh, around scheduling appointments. And actually, uh, already they've scheduled hundreds of thousands of appointments by text message for people to get their their first jab. So they're really amazing company that's that's grown from you know, tiny beginnings back in 2012. When you were buying the, I think it was pizza and drinks and fish stuff. Fish and for, chips, you know, for, for the five Fish and chips. Well, I'll tell you what, Bethnal is East End, isn't it? Yeah, I, I still have a bit of a reputation in Bethnal Green because I walked in and asked for thirty portions of fish and chips in the, the shop by the by the, uh, by the <laughs> Made station, you very which, popular in that shop. <laughs> yeah, they still remember me ten years later. But. Yeah, I bet here he comes. It's the fish and chip man. Yeah, where'd you put it? Oh, you're quite a slender fellow. Um, did you think at the time, although you saw the cohort working well together and, you know, you'd huddle people in a room and all that, did you really think that that could become a business rather than a sort of a nice pastime? It's interesting, yeah. So we were talking about this the other day that we we always assumed that it was going to be an investment business. We never thought it was going to be a sort of a not-for-profit or a charitable thing. For us, there was always just this assumption that actually you could do well by doing good. I'm not sure where that came from. It was just sort of part of the, our thinking was that the businesses that we were supporting, the businesses we were backing could be really big and could be profitable. They could have large, large revenues and large user bases. And I think we didn't really realize that that was an unusual point of view. It was only when we came up against other investors who were like, you're doing what? That we realized that that actually wasn't the, the norm, if you like. So Coming into the investment world, because I certainly didn't have any background in investment, uh, we were a bit naive about this idea that you could make money from doing good in the world, delivering social and environmental value as well as financial value. Um, and I don't think we realised that that was <laughs> that was actually quite an unusual point of view in the investment world. But um, and now, obviously, it's it's actually become a much more acceptable way of thinking in the investment world. But I'm even thinking more simply than even before you get to the you know investing for good. Did you think you could pull off the notion of creating a fund and know what to do to get to the point where you were a business that was investing for good? In other words, just the nuts and bolts of, yeah, yeah you'd set up your other business. So I guess you, you had some knowledge of what it takes to get an idea into some kind of shape that's real. But was there any, I mean, these obstacles of actually becoming a regulated mm. body, I imagine, of some sort, or, you know, where who would you raise the money from because it's other people's money? All those questions early on, Evidently not insurmountable, because here we are talking about them 10 years later. But at the time, were they daunting? I think we, we didn't know what we didn't know. And uh, so we just we just ploughed on step by step and ticked those off as things, challenges that we had to overcome. And if we'd known, yeah, things like, you know, well, obviously we've got to become an FCA authorised. You know, we've got to do, do all of those kinds of things. We've got to, the fundraising side of, of, of being a, a VC firm and all those kinds of things. They are really hard, don't get me wrong, but we just didn't know how hard they were. So we just got on with it. And that naivety about, again, coming at the investment industry without having really any investment industry experience was actually a bit of an advantage, I think, because uh, we didn't know how hard particular things were going to be. We just we just knew that we had this supply of great founders who we believed in and we believed that they would do good stuff. Um, and we went with that, to be honest. We were driven by the fact that we knew there were great people who wanted to to work with us to develop these businesses, and and that drove us. And then, and you know, I've mentioned it already, but that energy you get from founders who want to change the world for the better is just incredible. You know, every every few months we we open up applications to BGV, and you, you do just get this torrent of 
practical optimism we sometimes call it you know people who are not just idealistic but want to get stuff done and that's that's always been what's driven the growth i think of bgv Stay with me for much more from my guest. It's Paul Miller. He's the founder of BGB, Bethnal Green Ventures. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. Right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions, and they can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Dere's Tom Grogan and Alistair Moore discuss artificial intelligence and machine learning, their possible application, and the key things for organisations to consider when seeking to implement them. The Mishcon Academy digital sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. So, Alistair, what sort of things should organisations be thinking about when they consider the implementation of AI? There's several different things that you need to think about. Commercially, you need to start by identifying where it's going to create value. Technically, you need to think about what appropriate systems to use. How do they work? How can you explain how they work within your organisation? Legally compliant by design, how do the prevailing legal and regulatory frameworks apply to the system you're creating? And ethically, does it really do what you want? Is it aligned with your organization's values? You want a degree of comfort that the new system is going to achieve its aims and not create new problems that you're unaware of. Absolutely. Thankfully, the the MDRX tech team are across all of these things and we can help organizations do some really cool things with greater confidence. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this very programme again by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you have a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers. I'm sure you've been asking it to do lots of things. It certainly has been used and abused in our family over the last few months. And there you will find a taste, once you ask it, of our recent shows. But back to today and our first guest of this brand new season, it's Paul Miller, co-founder and CEO of Bethnal Green Ventures, an investment firm backing early stage tech companies who are taking on the big social and environmental problems. First investment? I think So we did six all at once and that's that's part of the strategy at bgv is to do these kind of batches of investment all at once of those six uh two have gone on to be really good investments one of them was dr doctor um, which we, we've talked about the other was a company called fairphone who <laughs> came to us again they're a bit like me they had a, a background as in campaigning around fairer electronics so you know the the conflict minerals that are included in cell phones and and also the environmental issues around the disposal of smartphones and so on. So they came to us with the idea of, well, you know, we've been campaigning on these issues, trying to get Apple and so on to to change their policies. And we haven't really succeeded. So what we've decided is we're going to start our own smartphone company. We're going to start selling, you know, building and selling our own smartphone that's fairer. And um, I remember calling a few people in who I knew who worked in the, the mobile phone industry and saying, well, I'm thinking of backing this. And they all said, that is absolutely crazy. <laughs> there is no way that yeah. a, a, a tiny little Thank company you. Good luck can with take that. on, yeah. um, you know, these big manufacturing companies. Um, but we backed them anyway, as you, as you do. And uh, the hack there was that they managed to convince customers to do pre-sales. So they, they managed to raise their their investment other than ours and from a few angels from their customers. So they, you know, they, I think uh, nearly 10 million euros, they, they got in pre-sales for the first phone 
um, which then enabled them to go away and design and build a phone. And they'd got these great relationships with uh, suppliers who could provide them with fair trade materials and um and and also do the the recycling properly and so on so they're now a company they're based in in the netherlands doing really well and they've they've definitely had an impact on the whole mobile phone industry because you know we know that they've been talked about at board level in the other phone companies because they've gone what, what's this little tiny company doing they're doing really well and they're they're just selling themselves on the you know where the materials in the phone come from they're not selling themselves on usability and all those kinds of things and that really had an effect i think on the on the whole industry so uh, that was another one of our and i was going to say that you know so, sometimes people the metrics in a for-profit only business are obviously financial but the metrics in a for impact business are Absolutely. actually how can we change the industry so success is measured yep. in did everyone else follow us which is a kind of it's an interesting thought isn't it it's not the long-term change is actually of more value yeah, than you, the financial value. And if you can be a pioneer as a, as a company, then, then you become a very valuable company. If you can pioneer a change that happens in an industry, whether that's in the way that the NHS organises its time or whether it's the way that the, the mobile phone sector addresses sustainability, I think those companies that pioneer change become valuable. And that's, that's part of the idea behind BGV is that we back those companies to make those changes in those industries. And hopefully we, we profit from that. First investor as well, I wanted to ask you, who were the first people to actually say, yes, we're going to back businesses and you can manage our money? It was Nesta, um, which is the UK's innovation foundation. So uh, they were originally set up um, with some lottery money, I think. So in the in the 90s, using some money from the national lottery. Uh, and then they've continued to sort of back innovations in, in the UK since. And yeah, they were the first people. And the reason they did it was interesting, which, which it was that they wanted to do uh, impact investment, as they were calling it. it was, they, they knew that they were going to be writing million pound checks, but they were like, where are the businesses going to come from that we're going to write million pound checks for? So they they backed us to basically try and help create those businesses that they might then invest in down the line. And what's happened over the last 10 years is that idea of impact investment of you know, investing in businesses that have both a financial return and a social and environmental benefit has really grown. It's hundreds of billions of dollars globally now, in, and it was almost nothing 10 years ago. So that's that's been a really interesting journey to, to watch the growth of impact investment, which Nesta spotted very early, to be honest. I mean, the interesting thing about what you just said is, of course, it's gone mainstream. You know, caring about environmental, social and governance issues about the planet, about people in a different way, is no longer at the fringes. Activism is central, right? I mean, we've seen this other Extinction Rebellion and the whole climate change issue and, and way more places. And of course, the huge injustices that have been surfaced. We knew they were there, but they've been surfaced in the last uh, year plus through this pandemic. When it goes mainstream, do you think your job is done or does it just give you more energy to carry on? It absolutely gives us more more energy. I, I still don't think it's quite mainstream, if I'm honest. I think we're we're at the point where people are starting to really eliminate the bad stuff from investment. So they're starting to say, okay, we're we're gonna pull out of coal, oil and gas, or tobacco, whatever it might be. So that's that side of things. That's that's almost mainstream now. That's you know, most 
most big fund managers will have a uh, a very large proportion of their investments will will be run like that so they're ruling out the bad stuff but the the positive side of things the side of investing in things that are going to have a positive impact that's still a tiny fraction of overall investment so i th- i think we've still got a, a way to go in terms of making that mainstream yet um but yeah when when we've got there i'll be very very happy you can retire. The the team thing, often I ask people about, you know, the first people they hired and, and so on and so forth. It strikes me that you've got the easiest job in the world, Paul, in terms of hiring people, because who wouldn't want to come in to a tech-driven, invested vehicle which wants to change the world for the better? How do you find, from the hundreds, I imagine, if not thousands of people that apply to you, how do you choose the ones that you really believe are going to make a difference because this you're a weird synthesis of both ideas activism as well as practical application that's an an, do do you find people in that in that in that mold or is it something else well there's no one type that we've tried to hire at bgv you're right we do get a lot of people wanting to come work for us which is which is really you're still sitting on my application (laughs) i'm a bit disappointed you haven't got back to me i'm still um we do get a lot of people who want to work for us i think very early on, actually, we we knew that we wanted uh, a team that didn't look like other investment firms, because I, I'm trying not to be rude about the other investment firms, but there there is a uh, a white male affluent background, highly educated, probably got an MBA sort of, you know, type of person who tends to work in, in, in VC firms, you know, it's got a bad name in terms of like diversity, basically. And we knew that we wanted to build a firm that was that was different to that. And we've ended up with a team that is, you know, majority female, it is, you know, 40% people who identify as coming from a, an ethnic minority. It's certainly a mixture of educational backgrounds. There's no, you know, there's quite a lot of different subject matter in there as well, and different and different um, different places that people have come from as well. And part of the way that we've done that is through um, using blind shortlisting for when when we do advertise jobs, and that's been, I think, really helpful. Um, I mean, I know it's it's a bit more common these days, but we don't know what gender or what age or you know the the educational background of people are, is when we're shortlisting for people to work at BGV uh, it's only when we get to interview them that we know those things so and i think that does make a real difference in terms of the diversity of people that we hire stay with me for my final chat with paul miller my business shaper today don't go anywhere jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishkondorea it's business but it's personal Paul Miller's with me just for a few more minutes. We've been talking about impact investment and about tech for good and about all other really excellent things. Do you as a leader live up to all of this? Because the challenge is, of course, when one is doing good, that you need to be a good person. And uh, there is, of course, a nice spectrum of good, medium and quite positively bad leadership out there in different organisations. What would your team say about you as a boss? You should ask them. Um, I... (laughs) I have. I just can't reveal. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, it, it's it's super important to me that like everything we do is aligned with our our mission, and I think that involves doing it well and and doing it right. I think it'd be difficult to be um, a bad person and do what we do for long. I think I think actually impact investment is is starting and social entrepreneurship. It's starting to eject the 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 bad people, if you like. The, there's an element of 
this has got to be right now because it because it is on its way to going mainstream it's got to be subject to real scrutiny it's got to be subject to to outside eyes looking at it and seeing that it all lines up in an ethical and um, moral way and so i think stepping out of line as a leader in terms of like <laughs> being being bad to the people who who work at bgv or or being unethical in the way that we do deals even in terms of investing just we we wouldn't survive so that that's why i think it's important um but also it's more fun isn't it and, and like you know running a team where everybody actually you know there's there's respect for different opinions and different ways of thinking about things but it's much more fun if you genuinely get on as a as a team um and and i think that comes from a you know a leadership that's that's open to just collegiality that may be a sort of more top-down hierarchical telling people what to do uh, kind of leader wouldn't foster i also think it has made a difference in lockdown if i'm honest that i think it's difficult to to, to transition to being a remote team and everybody everybody else has, has felt that as well but actually it's much nicer to transition to a being a remote team if you have that culture of people being nice to one another to be honest um, it makes it makes life a lot easier and uh, we've we've been lucky in that do you think there's a nice comfortable balance between the being nice to each other being ethically driven and also being quite hard on the data hard on the numbers hard on the actual returns do you think that that, that is why bgv has succeeded over the years or is it something else? Because obviously there is a there's an inherent contradiction, or there was, between doing good and making a fair return. Yeah, I mean, we've never thought of it as a spectrum. So we've never thought that you've got one end of the line where it's doing good and the other end of the line where it's making lots of money. We've always thought of it as like a Venn diagram, if you like, that, that, that there's a crossover. There's, there's a group of companies who do just make lots of money and there's a group of companies or organizations that do lots of good. But there's a, there's a crossover in the middle where companies do good and do well. And that's the bit we're interested in. We sort of exclude the other two bits. And that's been the strategy. And it's the simplicity of just looking for those businesses has made our life a lot easier, I think. So, you know, we, we can rule out lots of things quite quickly in a way that perhaps some other investment companies can't. They spend a lot of time thinking about whether it, you know, how much money it's going to make and all that kind of thing. Whereas actually we've got a very specific group of companies that we're looking for, a specific group of founders. And that simplicity has helped us over the years. And do you think, I mean, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're in the middle of something that none of us have experienced or even our parents' generation have experienced. Yes, of course, it's been the great accelerator and everyone talks about that and they use other kind of great headline-grabbing words. In 10 years from now, do you think this this thing that we're in now would have fundamentally impacted what you have been doing? Or do you think it's merely on another step on the journey towards continuing to be bigger and better and delivering more and more businesses that do things for good? It feels like it's accelerated people's understanding of, of a lot of problems. So I think um, it's highlighted and surfaced problems of um, inequality, of climate change of you know all these things have, have have people have really understood them more over the last 12 months than than perhaps they, they did beforehand and for us you know that's a good thing we knew the problems were there let's 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 be honest and the problems haven't to be honest haven't really changed because of covid they've, they've got worse but they haven't the actual nature of the problems hasn't changed but awareness of them has gone up 
masses. And that's really good for our business because it means that there are both investors and potential founders who know much more about these problems and are learning much more about them and want to do something about it. And that is great for, for what we do at BGV. Good luck in doing what you do at BGV. Um, you're an OBE as of the first time I met you, actually. I'd, you'd just been made. I think it was about 18 years ago. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was so, just, just over a year. I still haven't months. got it. Like, <laughs> so, well, that's uh, that's down to due to the recent uh, pandemic. We will find that the service has been somewhat effective. If I hear that again, <laughs> literally, I'm going to I'm going to cancel every single direct debit I've ever paid. Uh, I hope you get I hope you get your gong. But more importantly, keep on doing what you're doing. It's brilliant, and um, and have fun with it as well as you sound like you're doing. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen? So I had an um, an aborted jazz career actually when I was uh, I think about fourteen, uh, where I I thought that playing the saxophone would be very cool and would uh, you know make everybody love me. Uh, I wasn't very good. I was never very good. But the one thing that really inspired me was um, Autumn Leaves by Cannonball Adderley. Remember just hearing that track, that album. It's it's on something else, and just thinking. These were a bunch of people who were genuinely changing the world at the time. They were changing the music world, but like, yeah, that that was amazing. And so, uh, I've got very fond memories as a teenager of of Autumn Leaves and the the beginning of something else. That was Autumn Leaves from Cannonball Adley, the song choice of my business shaper today, Paul Miller. He talked about BGV being all about practical optimism, and boy, do we need both of those right now. He talked about diversity and this notion of blind shortlisting for his team. Not a new idea, but one that he was using quite a few years ago and that many businesses are using now, and it's brilliant. And finally, he talks about that collegiality, that bringing together of people, both in terms of businesses and in terms of investors, and now, of course, in terms of the wider community and the world itself. All fantastic stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.